The people of God were stuck. For centuries, they lived as slaves to terrifying taskmasters whose cruelty was only exceeded by their power. In these dark days, God's people gave birth to children who would inherit nothing more than misery. Their strongest ally was a God whom they had assumed had forgotten them. Far from forgotten, the people of God were rescued by the might of his hand. He put their masters to open shame and led them into the wilderness. Though they were set free, they weren't yet living free. They started to live as slaves to their own sin. What happened next reverberates for over 3,000 years of history to this current day. Like a loving and patient father, God instructed his children, giving them the Ten Commandments. Good morning. Y'all doing well? Uh, good to see everyone this morning. The children can be released if there are children in here. We have a children's ministry going to start now, so y'all can go join the teachers over in this way, and uh, they're going to have an awesome time. So we're working through uh, this series on the Ten Commandments. Um, by the way, just um, I know we touched on it earlier, but um, if you haven't come out for a Wednesday night, we're doing, we're in the book of Daniel. I want to invite you to come out for that as well. And also want to invite you to, to, to maybe sit after today with, in our, in our connect groups. If you've never done that before, today'd be a great day to kind of check the two connect groups out. So, but we're, we're doing this series on 10 commandments. And this morning we're going to cover the first commandment, the first, uh, of the 10, um, and so what I'm going to do is uh, I thought I'd open up with a little bit with um, uh, with the, just the concept that that the Ten Commandments reveal the heart of God. And because they reveal the heart of God, they reveal the heart of man. When we can see our heart in the mirror of the Word of God compared to God, then it reveals who we are and leads us to desire His grace, His mercy, trusting in Him and transformation. So... Um, the, the, the thing, uh, I like this quote from uh, Waki and you. He says this. He says, the Ten Commandments are not restricted to geography or history. The Ten Commandments are not bound by time and space. Thus, the Ten Commandments cannot be revitalized to culture. In other words, because they're universal, because they're timeless, we can't change them around and say, well, I don't really like that one. Let's do it this way in our time. They apply to people of all nationalities in all time periods. They express God's fundamental moral stance. It's a quote by Watke and you. And so I, I went through and I, I, I just collected a few quotes. I thought to open us up what different people have said about the Ten Commandments over, um, uh, you know, the last long period of time. Here is a, here's one I like. This is, a, we're, not, we're not sure who said this one. He said, man is an able creature. But he has made 32,600,000 laws and hasn't yet improved on the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, Edward Langley said this. Uh, he's quoting uh, an anonymous source. He said, in America, where we have 10 million laws to enforce the Ten Commandments. 
Now, lest you think he was, um, uh, you know, not correctly applying what our laws are attempting to do, this next quote is by James Madison. James Madison is literally the father of the American Constitution. We would not have the Constitution we have today if it wasn't for James Madison. And this is what he wrote. He said, we have staked the whole of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government and upon the capacity of each, uh, uh, each and all of us to govern ourselves. In other words, our system of government is set up on the basis that you and I will control ourselves. To control ourselves, to sustain ourselves, how? According to the Ten Commandments of God. Do you know that's what our, ten, that's what our Constitution was written about on the basis of? Hmm. Somebody didn't tell him about separation of church and state. <laughs> Here's another one. The Ten Commandments are not multiple choice. <laughs> G.K. Chesterton said this way. Nobody can break the, any of the Ten Commandments. He can only break himself against them. I was like, ouch, that was, ouch, you know, Chesterson has a way with words. And the last one's this, Alec Moyer uh, uh, said, this is the way we are to think of the Ten Commandments. This is what I want us to walk away, be, beginning our, our message with. Not as cramping restrictions on the fullness of life that we might otherwise have enjoyed, but as the very gateway to the fullness we seek. Isn't that a great quote? So if we go into this, looking at this, searching this, uh, 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 studying together, let's have that mindset. So we want to uh, understand and apply the first commandment to our lives. That's where we're going to go, understand the first, uh, first commandment and apply it, and then we're going to look at its significance. Now, to understand and apply the commandments, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. So we're going to spend some time asking four questions, but we're going to group them into three. So the first question we're going to ask is, what is the character and nature of the Ten Commandments? Uh, where is it situated? Whatever commandment we're studying that we want to apply in our life, where is it situated in the Ten Commandments? And we'll see why that's important. And then the last thing we're going to do is we're going to say, well, what did it mean to the original author and, and to the original hearers? So what it meant, and then turn around and say, so what does it mean to me personally? How do I apply that to me and in our culture and in our time? What is its significance? So the last thing we'll ask is its meaning and its significance. So that's where we're going to go. See, the thing is, and this is another quote here by Longman and Dillard, they say this, the thing that we have to do whenever we're taking God's word is we have to learn to think, how do we take the timeless word of God and apply it to the time in which we live? How do we do that? And that's what we want to do, we want to wrestle with this morning. All right, so number one is what is the character and nature of the Ten Commandments? That's where we're going to go first. So they do do, uh, six things. The first thing they do is they reveal the nature of God. They, um, they, they're given directly by God. Uh, they're based on creation. They created a covenant constitution for Israel. And finally, they mediate a personal relationship with God and they provide universal moral ideals for social well-being for all cultures. All right, so that is the character and nature of them. So let's break that down one at a time. They reveal the character and nature of God. Uh, I like this. Waki says the, the covenant's laws express and mirror God, express and mirror God's holy nature. Let me let me give it to you this way. By the way, I'm doing a whole lot better. You know, this one more week. And for those that don't know, I, I tore a muscle in my calf back here, uh, literally five weeks ago today. 
And uh, they told me for six weeks, you know, try, you know, not bear on it too much. And I'm trying to be good. That's why I carry this around and pretend I like to use it. So, um, oh, whoops, that's on tape, isn't it? Anyway, <laughs> um, so, uh, so the very first thing that we need to understand about the law of God is the law of God is not something out here above God to which he is subjected to. Okay? It's not something over him that makes him lesser. Number two... The law of God is not something under him that's arbitrary, that he just decided, hey, let me just make up some laws just to keep y'all in order. Okay, and he said y'all because he's, you know, he's a Texas guy. But, it, but no, neither of those are how we are to understand the law of God. The law of God literally exudes, extends, reveals the character and nature of God himself. He is revealing himself through his law. So the first thing we're to understand when we come to the Ten Commandments is God is saying, this is who I am at character and nature, and this is who I have created you, therefore, to image. This is what you are to reflect. This is what will bring you the fullness of all you've created to be, because it is from my character and nature. Okay, so from there, we need to understand these, these commandments, these ten commandments were actually directly given by God. Th- these are unlike the rest of scripture. Exodus 20 verse 1, and God spoke all these words, and literally, everybody heard them. In fact, it says they saw the words. Don't ask me how that happened. I don't know, but that's what the scripture actually says. They saw the words. In fact, it scared them so much it scared him so much that the rest of Scripture doesn't carry the character and nature of the Ten Commandments. From there on, they were like, okay, 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 this is good. Uh, 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 tell Moses and let him tell us. And so then we get, we get to the characteristic of the rest of the Torah in which Moses is spoken to face to face. And then we get into the law and the prophets in which the law and the prophets speak from visions and dreams and spiritual understanding. And so... Uh, the, the, the nature of the Ten Commandments is that these are a direct relation, revelation from the mouth of God himself until the word of God comes in the flesh. They're literally the greatest expression of God's self-revelation. Until the word of God comes in the flesh, at which time now the word is standing present before us. They're the greatest revelation of expression of God's self-revelation. So they reveal the character and nature of God. They're given directly by God. They're based on creation. Now, what do you mean based on creation? And it's important to understand they're based on creation. So why have no other God? Because I am, Yahweh, was who created us. Why rest on the Sabbath? Because God rested on the Sabbath. Why not kill? Because we were created as God's imagers. Why not commit adultery? Because God created Adam to have one wife, Eve. Notice all of these reflect back to creation itself. They reflect back to the beginning. So the language and the imagery in the Ten Commandments reflects directly back to the creation account. Now, why is it significant that they're based on creation besides what we just talked about? There's a twofold significance to it. Number one, that's what makes them universal. That's what makes them apply to all of creation. Number two, the Exodus event for Israel was literally a creation event. And we're going to see how that's significant to us. It was a creation. Israel was being birthed, born out of Egypt as a new nation on the face of the earth. It was a creation event. It was a recreation. Harking us back to Genesis and speaking to us. And when we study the Sabbath, hopefully we'll have time to actually show you this in the scripture. It's really cool. Deuteronomy chapter 6. No, so what's next? Um, 
They reveal the character and nature of God. They're given directly by God. They're based on creation. They create a covenant constitution for Israel. Covenant, because the constitution is a relationship with God. Constitution, because they're given that a new a people who had been enslaved, a, a culture that had been inculturated, needed to get that culture out of them and the culture of God in them. They were delivered out and given a constitution to say, this is how you live as a free people under the God of heaven as a nation shining the light to, uh, uh, the light of God to the rest of the world. It was a, it was a, the, the Torah was created to be this constitution to live. It wasn't just created just so for you and I. Now, um, so here it is, Deuteronomy 6. For you are a holy people, a people holy to Yahweh your God. And Yahweh your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. You hear the love relationship, the covenant relationship. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, you hear that national constitution. I'm making you your own nation. Exodus, then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, and all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do and be obedient. Notice he read it to the people. They are agreeing. They are adopting this as the constitution for the nation. And so finally, it reveals his character and nature. It's given directly by God. It's based on creation. It creates a covenant constitution for Israel. It also mediates a personal relationship with God at the same time, provides universal moral ideals for social well-being. Uh, you know, like not killing, not committing adultery, not stealing, not lying, not bearing fits. Kind of good things for everybody, right? No? <laughs> Y'all are scaring me. No, just joking. Um, even though the whole is for the nation, they're to be different than other nations. That language that was given... Um, when it says, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, it is particularly given in first person, I mean, a uh, uh, singular second person. It's not, so like when it says, you shall be a holy people, that's you like, okay, here's the difference. I'm explaining this to my brother-in-law. My, my brother-in-law was saying, so when you say y'all, does that mean like plural? I said, no, in Texas, y'all is singular. All y'all is plural. Okay, so that's the difference. The difference is uh, when when he's saying, Y'all need to be a holy people. He's saying all y'all. When he's saying you shall not, he's saying y'all shall not, meaning you. Each one of them, so they are personal. It is a personal God desiring a personal relationship for you to reflect him and to reflect that relationship with one another. Uh, Strictly speaking, the Ten Commandments are not laws. Why? Because they don't contain penalties. They are set Fourth, God's essential moral ideas for how to live in a society and do it with well-being, to do it with flourishing. So, uh, Jesus said this in Matthew, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. That means a yod. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The dot is a, is a, is a mark on the, um, on the alphabet, will, will, one of the crowns, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So, what he's saying is this is that the Mosaic Covenant is literally permanent. How do we know? It was written in stone. These commandments were written in stone. They were permanent. However, what Jesus did is take what was in stone and make it in our heart. And that was prophesied by Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you the heart of what? Stone, huh? wonder where he got that. 
and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says Jeremiah, declares Yahweh, I will put my law within them. I will write it where? On their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Second Corinthians, Paul tells us now, you show that you're a letter from Christ delivered to us. Written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Your heart is literally the writing pad for God to write his instructions on how to have an intimate relationship with him and with one another. This is how we come into understanding what these commandments mean. This is the character and nature of them. So the next thing we need to do if we're going to understand the commandment is where is it situated in the Ten Commandments? We need to know where it's situated because they actually are organized in a way to give meaning to us. So there are three parts to the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, Number one is uh, your relationship with God. Number two is the Sabbath transition. So the first part is your relationship with God. Then the Sabbath transitions. And again, hopefully we'll be able to explain that to you when we get to it. But it literally transitions. And then number three is your relationship with others. So you have your relationship with God. You have relationship with others. And you have them pivoting on this whole concept of Sabbath. Okay? So uh, does, does this remind you anything, these parts? How about Jesus talking uh, to... Um, to the, the person says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He's talking about the first half of the Ten Commandments. And then what's he say? And the first, uh, this is the first and greatest, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's talking about the second half. He's expressing these parts. All right, so whenever we're considering a commandment, we're going to look at the first one this morning. We need to see, where is it? Where is it? Does this concern my relationship with God? Does this concern my relationship with others? Is it transitional somehow? So um, the, the next thing that uh, oh, we want to ask ourselves is wh- exactly which commandment are we examining? Now, oops. I moved two pages. So... Um, which commandment are we examining? And this where um, you would think, okay, so I'm just going to do one, two, three, four, five. Well, it's actually not quite that simple. And we're going to break into this a little bit. There's actually three traditions for what are the Ten Commandments. Now, why? It doesn't change what the Scripture says. The Scripture has them all listed. But the Scripture doesn't actually say this one's number one, this one's number two, this one's number three. And so traditionally, different uh, um uh, scholars have approached this different way. So if you're from the Orthodox or the Anglican or the Reformed traditions, put, you put the chart up. Um, I don't know if you all can read that. But you'll, you'll norm, number them the first way, and you'll see them. If you're from the Catholic or Lutheran uh, 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 way of uh, numbering them, you'll do it the second way. If you're Jewish, you'll do it the third way. Now, And I say that because, you know, if you're walking along, you say, hey, did you break the fourth commandment? You go, okay, that could be two different ones, depending on who you are and where you are. Okay? So, um, the fact is, we call them the Ten Commandments because Scripture says they're the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 34, in fact, it says they're the Ten Words, is what it actually says. Um, but how we enumerate them depends on the tradition we come from. Stay on the chart for a minute. Um, so what I'm going to do, um, uh, I'm going to go with um, kind of a, uh, you know you know me, I can't just like pick one, right? I'm going to go with a combination. <laughs> All right, I actually prefer the, the Jewish enumeration. 
Um, and we'll see why, and I'll make the case for it this morning. But I'm going to combine it with the, um, the first one in the uh, Orthodox um, understanding. I am Yahweh your God, you shall have no other gods before me. So that's what we're going to look at this morning when we look at it. So, but anyway, where we're looking in is the part of the, of the, these that talk about our relationship to God. So these relate to our relationship to God. Now, why do I personally like, um, the, the Jewish one more? Um, uh, it, why it seems to make the most sense. Number one, it's the oldest of all the traditions. So it's most likely the one that uh, best I could tell, I was doing a lot of research on it, best I could tell, most likely the, the list Jesus and the apostles, that one they would have gone by. Some of these other traditions would have been, would have been later. Um, so that's, that's number one. But number two, um, let's, we're going to dive into the commandment, and you'll see why I think that it's not just a prologue. All right, so let's dive into it. The first commandment. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me and be careful to obey my rules. Oops. Nope, that's in the wrong order. Sorry, guys. So, oh, I see. I'm turning my pages the wrong way. I got corrupted on the page turning. <laughs> All right, yes. So, I guess I have to let y'all in on it. My my uh, file this morning, um, when I cut it out of my software, completely corrupted on me. It literally disformatted everything, and I had to go through one slide at a time and reformat everything. It was like, I'm sweating trying to get out the door. That's not normal. So anyway, I just did that to myself right here. <laughs> All right, sorry. Okay, so the first commandment, I am the Lord your God. Uh who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. So if we were um, looking at, um, uh, so what we're going to do is this, is we're going through this. Remember I, I said we're, we're looking at the character and nature. We're looking at where it's situated. We've established where it's situated. Now what we're going to do is look at what did it mean when they heard it and how do we apply that to our lives? What does that mean to us? So what is its meaning and what is its significance? All right, so first, I am the Lord your God. Now, why I like that, and, and understanding, if we understand that this is the 10 words, this makes sense. I am the Lord your God is a statement of faith. It is a statement of faith. So literally, the first commandment, the first thing God does as he's speaking to us, the first word he gives us is a statement of faith. Now, why is that important? Uh, at all times... And in all places, all people of God have always come to God first in faith. Now, a lot of us have the, the misunderstanding or the misconception that faith is a New Testament thing. We go, well, we have Jesus, and, you know, he died on the cross, and so we put our faith and trust in him. But in the Old Testament, they had the laws, and they had the sacrifices, and they were trusted in the sacrifices and their works. But we realized that works didn't work, so now we have to have faith. That is not Scripture. The people of God have always had to come to God in faith. Take a look at this. This is in um, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 5. 
By faith, Enoch, who? Where's Enoch found? Yeah, yeah, not the New Testament. For those, you could just say not New Testament if you don't know. That goes all the way back to Genesis. By faith, Enoch was taken up before the law of Moses, before any of the sacrifices. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. How did he please God? By faith. And what does the next verse say? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It doesn't say without faith, New Testament people, it's impossible to please him. It says all people. By faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, where do you find Noah? Like, he's like right after Enoch right there, you know, okay? Also back in Genesis, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. He didn't know it was going to rain, you know, 40 days and 40 nights. So he acted in faith, trusting God. In reverent fear, constructed an ark saving for the saving of his household. And by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. His faith literally spoke condemnation, what? To those who don't believe. Because the only thing that separates us from God is faith. Unbelief. Unbelief. And so where do the commandments begin in a relationship with God? In faith, I am Yahweh. I am. I am, I am your God. That's where they start. Listen to what it says about Abraham. And he believed Yahweh and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Because Abraham believed God, he was accounted as righteousness. It is the same thing for us. We are accounted as having the righteousness of Christ because we trust him. We believe him. The the covenant with Abraham, by the way, was prior to the covenant with Moses. How many know that? God made a covenant with Abraham before he made a covenant with Moses. How many know that when he made the covenant with Moses, he didn't get rid of the covenant with Abraham? In fact, the covenant with Abraham stands prior. In other words, not only first before it, but first above it. Meaning, everyone everywhere must come in faith. And that's how we are able to enter in because of that covenant. Romans 4 For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The promise to Abraham before the law ever came about. This is why the Ten Commandments start with a word of faith. For it is the adherence, it is not, oh, wait a minute. For if the, for if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void, Paul says. If I can earn it, If I can do something to earn it, then I didn't come by faith and I don't need faith. We don't do to earn. We do to reflect what God has done in us. We do to reflect our trust in him. So, in fact, I would submit to you. uh, um, Let me just go through this. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inherent, to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who was the father of us all. Now, I want you to look at that verse for a minute. Look at it. It doesn't say for those who used to adhere to the law. It says whether you are one adhering to it or not, it starts in faith. It starts in faith. It ends in faith. It begins in faith. Our relationship with God is in faith. 
And in fact, I would uh, say to you that that literally the greatest expression of grace, the greatest single written expression of grace in the entire Bible is actually found in Exodus 34 in this whole scene that's going on with the Ten Commandments. Let's take a look at it. It says, the Lord passed before him. He passes before Moses. Moses wants to see God. He's asked him, can I see you? And God said, no, you can't, but I'll put you in a cleft. I'll cover your eyes because if you see me, you can't, ha- you can't handle the truth. You may heard that before. You can't handle it, okay? But I'll cover your eyes. I'll let you see what's l- my presence that's left over after I walk by. That's what it means to see your hind parts. Your pre- my pre- the glory of my presence left over after I walk by. And, and when that happens, he says, Yahweh passed by him and pronounced, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression for sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. We stand in rebellion to God and he offers us his grace he will not oppose us if we choose it not, but he offers it to us nonetheless. He is not a tolerant God. He is a long-suffering God, desiring that we enter into all of the grace he offers us. And that's been from the beginning. This is the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Jumping down to verse 20 in Romans, no unbelief made him waver concerning God's promise, but he grew strong in the faith as he gave God the glory. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. See, there's what it comes down to. Do we trust in the word of God? The Ten Commandments come down to do you trust in God's word? That's what Abraham did. And that's why it was counted to him as righteousness, because he trusted God's word. But the words it was counted were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. We learn about Abraham so we know we can enter into the same righteousness when we trust Jesus. It will be counted for all who believed. It will be counted to us who believed in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Because Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. Let me tell you what that means. We've heard it so many times. He was delivered for our trespasses. What's that saying is this? It says, while we were enemies, Christ died for us. What that means, oh, look at me, it's over there. Anyway, what that means is we were enemies. And while we were enemies to God, Christ grows, goes to the cross on our behalf. That's what it means. He was delivered up for our trespasses. He went while we were in the state of an enemy. That's how much love and grace he has. How many would do that for an enemy? That's how much love and grace he has. And then it says, be specific. Raised for our justification. What does that mean, raised for our justification? By faith, when we are made righteous, he not only says, he not only says, okay, you know, now that I've taken care of you, you know, you you messed up a bunch and you can kind of come on in, but, you know, you're going to be in the group who messed up. No. What it means by justification, it means, it literally means when he looks at us, he goes, what's in? What's in? I'm no longer on that team. I'm on this team. And in fact, my name is wiped off the roster of ever having been on that team. That's what justification means. 
It means I have walked out of the court and been, not only been pronounced not guilty, but innocent. We don't even do that. All right. So the second thing, what did it mean and what does it mean to us? I am the Lord your God. Yahweh, uh, that word Lord, when you look at the scripture, is Yahweh. This statement emphasizes that Yahweh is not to be confused with any other God. Um, and that what follows is to be received as his word alone. When, when, when he says, I am the Lord your God, that means everything I'm telling you is coming from me, not from anybody else, and don't confuse it. What's really fascinating about the Ten Commandments is the first part, those first section, and the last commandment, you don't find in any other ancient Near Eastern nation. They're only in the, the commandments of Israel and unique to Israel. And he says, this is my word, my word alone. Don't get me confused with anybody else. Third, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Yahweh is your redeemer, he is saying to Israel. You yourselves have seen, this is in Exodus, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel, Moses says. Literally brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I set you free. I paid for you. I redeemed you. Now, Jude makes this very clear where Jesus was when that happened. Check this out. This is in Jude, verses 4 and 5. It tells us exactly where Jesus was when this occurred. He says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. We are literally coming into the faith of those who trusted in the God who delivered Israel is the same one who delivered us. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He delivers us from slavery as well. Slavery to sin. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, and the fruit you get leads to sanctification and ends in eternal life. So, remember I told you this is all about creation? The Ten Commandments are about creation? Literally, the ten, this is a creation event in our own life. Second Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All right, so the last thing is, you shall have no other gods before me. What is he saying here? He's saying he wants us to literally walk in believing loyalty. It forbids any loyalty or relationship with any deity besides Yahweh. That's what it was speaking specifically in the time. For us, it's, it's a, I mean, for, for then as well and for us, it's a prohibition against preferring any other gods over Yahweh. It comes first both numerically, it's the first one, and conceptually. That's before everything else in the Ten Commandments. The first thing, conceptually, it's first principle. It's what is the foundation that everything else, there is no other, and here's what it means. There's no other authority in our lives. There's no other authority greater in our lives. It doesn't mean there's things that we don't come under. It means there's nothing greater than the Word of God in our lives. 
When it says we shall know other gods before him, that word before, it comes from the Hebrew word face. It means presence. When it says no other gods before me, it means bring nothing else before the presence of God but your believing loyalty to him. Guys, the scripture says we're all going to come and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So everything we do, we're bringing into the presence of Christ now. It says there is nothing we do, nothing we act, nothing we think, nothing we say that isn't in the presence of God. To make no other gods before him means that our lives now, here, in this moment, understands how we live is bringing everything into his presence. I don't know about you. That makes me fall down on my knees and cry and thank him for his grace. And thank him for his forgiveness. And ask him for his strength and ability to live that out. And so, to close this up. Gods are still defined uh, um, as what their worshipers depend on for life. Whatever gives people life, significance, security, that's your God. Martin Luther said, whatever man loves, that's his God. He carries it in his heart. He goes about with it night and day. He sleeps and wakes with it. Be it what it may, wealth, self, pleasure, or renown. John Calvin said, we all invent idols infinite in number. But there's a flip side. A command to, to rely on other gods is also, to not rely on other gods is also an invitation. An invitation to trust him. To put your security and your life in his hands. So I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Paul says, for while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more. Now that we're reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift God's given you. It's not something you earned. not something you can boast about. But it does make your body a temple of the Holy Spirit. Who he's given you before God. What does it say? We're not our own. We have been ransomed. We have been bought. We have been paid for. So we are to live in a way that glorifies God in this body. This is the first commandment.